It's Monday, July 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got entertainment news. Uh, earnings season is coming up. Uh, so Bill's going to share a stock that he's going to be watching this earnings season. We're going to start with the latest results from Pepsi. Pepsi's second quarter revenue fell 3%. And I'm not a Pepsi shareholder, but I saw that headline number and I thought, that's not that bad in this environment. Um, uh, as we saw with the last quarter, and as we will probably see with the next quarter, it is the, it is the snack division. It is Frito-Lay, which is helping to boost Pepsi's quarterly results. Yeah, uh, for those new to the stock, uh, PepsiCo implies uh, Pepsi, which is certain, certainly a huge part of the company uh, and related uh, beverage brands, but also Frito-Lay uh, and uh, Quaker. And uh, it's it's yes, the snack and uh, Quaker brands, uh, people stocking up on cereals, uh, Captain Crunch. Um, and uh, Quaker Oats and, and other things like that, uh, which kept things uh, closer to neutral for the quarter because uh, the, still revenue was was off and, and um, earnings were off a little bit. But uh, yeah, they had enough diversification in their portfolio of brands uh, that uh, it wasn't all bad news. Well, and you know, part of the comments out of the executive team at Pepsi is um, the investments that they continue to make, not just in safety for their employees and their customers, but also the investments that they are making online. Uh, we talked a couple of months ago on this show about the e-commerce, uh, the direct-to-consumer sites that uh, Pepsi um, started in May, snacks.com and pantryshop.com. And, uh, I don't know about you. I've absolutely done some shopping on snacks.com. They've I this is going to be interesting to see how this grows and it really wouldn't surprise me at all if as we have seen with other companies that come out with a new division, a new product line, whatever, and it starts off small and there's, you know, for some in the analyst world there's a tendency to dismiss new initiatives that don't pay immediate big dividends and then over time they grow those sales and and pretty soon we're talking year over year growth of 25% that compounds over time obviously. It's going to be interesting to see how this works out for Pepsi because I I don't know that Pepsi necessarily had the direct-to-consumer businesses in mind before the pandemic. Um, they, I give them points for um, how clean and smooth these sites are, how efficient they are, both for customers and for Pepsi's business. They're these, you know, it's not an unlimited portfolio of options that you get when you go to these sites. Um, you know, but they they made comments uh, this quarter about about the fact that they are very serious about e-commerce, they see it as an opportunity to be uh, moving ahead of others in, in this uh, space. Yeah, the winners are going to be the ones that have a plan uh, for e-commerce. I think that a lot of businesses, the more that they are, uh, you know, anchored to the old ways uh, are going to be the most susceptible to the future. And uh, certainly in the stock world, the more something is uh, aligned with uh, online opportunities, uh, the, the better it's doing these days. Uh, and that is a relatively small part of their sales right now, but perhaps a, a better future. Let me ask, you know, I, I hadn't heard about snacks.com before today. What 
how did you end up uh, going there to do some shopping? Um, I I get a couple of um, business news emails every morning, and in reading them uh, that morning back in May, I saw saw this bullet like, "Hey, Pepsi has launched Snacks.com," and my first thought was, "Wait." Nobody else already owns Snacks.com. Pepsi somehow got that URL, so good for them. And then I went to the site, and this is you know relatively, certainly earlier days in the pandemic. And uh, let's face it, one of the things that we're doing more, yes, we are uh, buying more Pelotons as a nation and uh, doing more uh, exercising in our homes. We're also snacking more. I don't have a Peloton. Put me down as one of the people who's like, yeah, I'll buy more Cheetos. Absolutely. If you're going to make it this easy and free shipping comes, if I only buy $15 worth of snacks, I can do that in 30 <laughs> seconds. No problem. So, um, so yeah. But again, like all, like all kidding aside about my gluttony, uh, these are really well-designed sites. I mean, there are experienced e-commerce businesses out there that really could take a page out of whoever designed these sites for Pepsi. Uh, yeah, well, good for them, um, because that is an, an opportunity which uh, I would go back to is, is probably small today, but uh, like anything that you get right uh, on online, and if you're doing it yourself rather than relying on third parties to do the distribution for you, uh, that's an opportunity for better margins. And I think that uh, they're getting you to order, you know, fifteen dollars of snacks, uh, which you say you can do easily. Uh, certainly, I could easily. Um, and once you're there, fifteen, you you know, maybe you get a few more. End up buying more, uh, and once snacks are bought, they generally, uh, unlike uh, many other things in the kitchen, get eaten um, quickly. They, the percentage of snacks that get thrown out because they've gone bad in our house is pretty close to zero. Yeah, I was going to say, it rounds to zero in my house. Yeah. Um, last thing, just on the beverage side, uh, th- this will be interesting, I think, to watch because we've, and, and I'm referring to seltzer sales within the um, Pepsi portfolio of beverages because they, they have um, Bubbly and I, I think a couple other seltzer brands. Because we've seen this... Um, with hard seltzer, we've seen Boston Beer Company get a boost out of their hard seltzer lines. We've seen hard seltzer sales rising as a result, you know, sort of uh, at a time when a lot of beer sales are flat or declining slightly. So um, it's interesting to see Pepsi benefiting from, uh, not from hard seltzer, but just from, you know, non alcoholic seltzer. Yeah, it seems like the kids are drinking a lot of those things rather than beer, uh, and uh, that's certainly my experience uh, as a parent. Not that my own kids would uh, be drinking anything, um, but they report others do, uh, and that if they go to parties uh, at college, uh, this is what seems to be happening more than more than beer. So, uh, like many other things, the the old ways are taking a beating, uh, and and new trends. Uh, in this case, hard seltzer is, uh, looks like it's got a lot of room still to grow. Whether uh, you know Pepsi indirectly benefits from that, uh, they probably do. Um, so, it's a trend. They're on the right side of some trends, uh, the wrong side of a few others. It all uh, adds up to, uh, you know, not, not an exciting quarter, but I think one where they are continuing to pay their dividend, uh, continuing to buy back shares, and are you know a very stable 
massive entity that can make the necessary adjustments and uh, because of the strength of their brands is going to remain relevant under almost any circumstances. We have a trio of companies in various parts of the entertainment industries making headlines today. Carnival Cruise Lines is going to cut 13 ships from its fleet. That's nearly 10%. AMC Entertainment, which is the largest movie theater chain in America, is going to get $300 million in new money from investors. And Disney World has opened in Orlando, Florida, uh, at a time when Florida uh, cases of COVID-19 are spiking. Um, and th this... The opening of Disney World in Orlando comes literally hours before the company announced this morning Hong Kong Disneyland is going to be closing on July 15th due to COVID-19. Uh, of those three, what's the most interesting to you? Well, I suppose the most interesting is Carnival and the, the situation with cruises because I think they're in the most desperate uh situation regarding COVID. Uh, that is, uh, we, we know that there just aren't cruises right now, at least in North America. Uh, they plan to, I think, start uh, you know sometime later in the summer in some locations. But uh, I think they've, they've got the entire model is based on squeezing a lot of people into a compact space, and there is no getting around that. Uh, so, eliminating 13 ships, presumably the older part of the fleet, and reducing their schedule uh, gives them some opportunity. I think one of the analysts on Wall Street, Stifle analyst, came out today saying that Carnival uh, may benefit in the long term from this. I think that's a level of optimism that is not shared widely, uh, probably not even at Carnival, uh, but it's... Um, a happy spin to put on what is a very challenging situation. I think AMC, to me, is just over the longer term doomed. Uh, I think the stock price reflects that. I think that the competition from uh, entertainment at home, uh, cheaper, bigger flat screens and, and more streaming opportunities uh, spells Difficulty for AMC that I don't I don't see them surviving over the long term. I think cruises will survive over the long term because there isn't the same level of replaceability for the experience that they present. That experience isn't desired today, but under different circumstances, I think it is. And you know, Disney's just a always a fascinating company. A lot of different moving parts, and um, I think that uh, it's a more stable. The, the, the floor and the ceiling move somewhat less for them than move for, say, the cruises. Yeah, I think Disney also, um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Stiefel note uh, on uh, Carnival. Um, Goldman Sachs came out with um, our, a buy rating on Disney. Um, and it appeared to be focused on the Disney Plus streaming service as basically saying, when we look at Disney's stock price, we think the profitability of Disney Plus is being underestimated. And I, as a Disney shareholder, I would love that to be true. I'm, I'm not convinced it is true just because of all of the other challenges 
facing the business. I mean, Disney has their own cruise line. Um, obviously, it's they're far less dependent as a business as Carnival is because that's all Carnival does. But you know, we got the parks. Um, it it's really going to be interesting to see how things get handled in Orlando. It wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point in the next few weeks they had to shut down Orlando. Uh, when you look at what is happening throughout the state of Florida, I mean, I hope that's not the case, but it wouldn't surprise me. So, um, uh, you know, I agree with you about uh, AMC, though. I mean, I think it, as, as much as I have enjoyed throughout my lifetime going to the movies, um, when you look at the economics that uh, that business is facing right now, th- they really need things to turn around very quickly. Um, uh, just when you look at um, the debt that they are starting to rack up. Yeah, it's not going to be a place to make money. Uh, I think that movie theaters will survive in sort of the same form that newspapers uh, will survive. That is, somebody rich who believes that these things uh, need to be around or, or would like them to be around will just keep, you know, buy up a movie theater and operate it at, at a loss or, you know, uh, try to break even or but it just won't be needle moving in their their life um i think you've seen that with uh some of the acquisitions of newspapers um by some to to just preserve something uh and and not have it strictly controlled by the economics of the business that surrounds it so i think that it's you know the 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 positive thing is movies are getting made or other than the situation with uh, COVID not letting people work uh, on those, they're always going to be movies. They're just going to be seen more at home than in the theater uh, because the experience is getting closer and closer to just as good or better uh, and is, is far more affordable. And the movie theaters, which I know... You love, I grew up uh, loving theaters. I don't get to them very often these days because, um, you know, I think that the cost and the cost versus the experience at home is controlling what I do with that time and money. Um, you you, you are a big theater supporter. If, if everybody out there were going to as many movies a year as you and your family, I would be more optimistic about the theater future. We got earnings season coming up. Um, what is a stock that you are curious to see? It could be about their results. It could be about what management says. Um, but above and beyond, sort of the the headline numbers of you know a, a profit, a loss, revenue, that kind of thing. Um, what's a company you're curious to see report in the next couple of months? Uh, well, one because we own it uh, in uh, a few of the funds. Uh, Axon Entertainment, or sorry, not Entertainment at all. Uh, Axon Enterprise, uh, which uh, form of the company formerly known as Taser, but also makes uh, body cam and uh, software that um, works with the body cameras. And I think that they've had uh, a quarter. So you know, mostly quarterly calls are going to be about uh, coronavirus and an inability to quantify the rest of the year to give um, guidance in a lot of cases. Uh, and that that's a, a critical story. But we're going to hear that in uh, a number of forums every single day. And Axon 
uh, as a stock, uh, you know, the stock did very well as, as a result or during the time uh, of the protests and, and the, um, you know, the police, uh, the, the protests against uh, uh, current policing. So I think that they have a very interesting story that they have to dance around, which is they're not a business that can come out and say, as so many have, of a fairly simple, clear, we support uh, the minorities, we, we want uh, to, to let you know what we're doing uh, regarding uh, you know how we operate in our business and what we're going to do going forward. That part of the story, they, Axon, I'm sure, uh, is, is saying that as well, but they also have to uh, recognize, and they do recognize the police forces are the ones that are buying their equipment. And so uh, they've got a more complex story and they're sitting on top of this benefit to their stock, which reflects future sales that the market expects. And so the guidance that they can give, you know, I don't know that there are going to be a lot of orders that have come in this quarter for their equipment. They are in a, in a growth story regarding their sales, uh, but I just find that the, their uh, their story is going to be much more nuanced and interesting um, and difficult, uh, I think, than than a lot of other companies. Yeah, shares of Axon Enterprise up fifty percent uh, in the past twelve months. So yeah, it's it going to be interesting to see what they report and how they talk about it. Um, real quick before we go, last time you were on the show, we talked about. An anniversary, which is that next month is going to mark the 20th anniversary of the passage of Regulation Fair Disclosure. Um, today, there's another anniversary. It's not financial in nature. It is the 35th anniversary of Live Aid, uh, the two concerts held uh, in Wembley Stadium in London, and I believe the old Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. You were there. You, you believe incorrectly, but uh... I, I, oh, okay. What what was the stadium in Philly? Uh, it was uh, JFK. Oh, okay. Not Vet Stadium. Not Vet. Stadium. ridiculous to try to throw that at Vet Stadium. What are you <laughs> thinking about? Did you have you ever? Did you ever go to Vet Stadium? No. What an awful place to go to <laughs> the any ball game or or concert. Um, no, it was uh, the old JFK, which also doesn't exist any longer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was there because uh, it was in Philly, and it was easy enough to get tickets. I mean, you had to get up the morning tickets went on sale and shell out all of $35 uh, for the concert, uh, which at the time I had $35. So that was, uh, you know, that was convenient. Um, I was a, a college student at the time, and it was July, so we were on... Uh, summer break. And uh, uh, yeah, I remember it pretty well, considering. So, I, I think, uh, certainly for a lot of people uh, who are younger, and, and you know, you and I remember the concert. I remember watching it on television. Um, you were there in Philly. I think it is, it is fair to say um, that, in general, as a group, the performances at Wembley Stadium in London are more highly regarded than the ones as a group in Philly. Um, and of course, the, the appearance by Queen, um, uh, which was uh, featured in the movie, 
you know, that's uh, that sort of, you know, maybe the iconic performance of either venue. That being said, what do you remember as being uh, the best performance of, of the concert in Philly? The one, uh, sort of the one that surprised me the most uh, actually was Madonna, because at the time I was sort of a, a snooty uh, kid, rock and roll uh, fan and, and considered like Madonna beneath me uh, as as pop and something that girls listen to and, and all that. And um, boy, she came out and, you know, she she puts on a good show. She did. She didn't get to where she uh, got in life without uh, working extremely hard and being very talented and uh, extremely good at entertaining. Uh, so I, th- I thought she she did a great job. Um, in terms of the, the acts in Philadelphia, it's true there are fewer really, really memorable moments. I think it didn't end uh, on an especially high note uh, in that the final group was, I think, like Bob Dylan and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards or, or something, or, or, you know, some group of great musicians who were not necessarily uh, great taste that went great together, um, in particular because I think I think Ron Wood's guitar string broke on him, and so he was just doing air guitar for a little bit and looked <laughs> kind of like he was at the end of a long day that he had enjoyed um, off off stage, perhaps I don't know. Um, and um, so I, those are those are some of the things that I remember. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.